0: Well, in this afternoon prayer service, we'll go straight to our sermon so that we have time to pray as God's people. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter nine, and we'll be looking at Daniel's prayer. And generally in our second service, when it's a prayer service, we're approaching a passage and saying, how does this teach us to pray? And so I will have us, we'll just read the first 19 verses. And as we do, I encourage you to listen to who God is and how Daniel describes God and to how Daniel describes himself and the nation of Israel as he comes and and beseeches the Lord, pleads with him to remember his promises. This is Daniel, the prayer of an exile. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was, making, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God. Seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, "O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for the whole heaven. there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us. as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly o lord according to your all your righteous acts let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city jerusalem your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us now therefore o our god listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Please pray with me. Father, we come as people who bear the name of Jesus. We have been baptized into him. And so, therefore, he through his in us and we come to you as our great covenant covenant God who keeps his promises, who displays his love in overwhelming mercy And would you draw us to yourself in your glory as we think about praying and even confessing our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to a passage which is very different in a lot of ways from the rest of the book of Daniel. Daniel is often thought of as a wisdom book. In fact, if you read Proverbs and then you read Daniel, you you hear a lot of similar words. Insights, understanding, wisdom. These are things the Lord gives Daniel to understand the visions, maybe supernaturally. But it's the same language as as Proverbs. And in fact, if you took out chapter this part of chapter nine, you would say it doesn't really sound like the rest of the Old Testament. But then you come here and see how how Daniel's wisdom and witness to the world is integrally tied with his relationship with the Lord, and you start to hear the covenant language that is going on. As Daniel, who is in exile, comes to the Lord at the end of the seventy years, and and he pleads with the Lord, "Remember your people, act." And, and yet, you see here a way to pray to the Lord. He does not complain, he does not blame God, but he comes and waits humbly for his answer. There's three things that we can learn about how to pray. From Daniel here. And the first is, when you come to the Lord, reflect on his name. Reflect on his name. This prayer is all about who God is. Daniel here is reflecting on Israel's God as the covenant God, the one who has bound himself with the promise to, to Abraham through Moses going back through Adam and Eve. This solemn promise that is based on God's name, which God sealed with Abraham when he cut the two pieces apart and walked through by himself and said, this is what will happen if I renege on my promises. Right? And this, this promise, that the covenant promise was the sign of the blessing, was life in the land with God. And because of their disobedience, they've been, they've been driven from the land. In fact, Daniel starts, as I like how one commentator pointed this out, he begins by meditating on God's covenant faithfulness to be true not only to his promises, but to his curses right the the book of moses the first five books details to god's people if you fall away these are things which will happen in chilling detail you can uh, you can look at it in leviticus 26 verses 14 through 39 and deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through 68 a long list of consequences for disobeying the covenant and and daniel says yes this is what we did. Here we are. And God's anger is still turned on us. And so, but what do we do? As, as Daniel is reflecting on God's character and what he's done. Well, he says, what will turn away God's anger? It's his own promises. Do it for your own sake. Right? Daniel asks God to show mercy, to be true to who you are. There is a way in which God let his glory be dimmed and diminished by, by letting Israel be conquered and Jerusalem sacked. Back at that time, ancient people thought the deity that was the strongest is the deity whose nation won. And so by allowing Israel to be carried off, everyone else said, yeah, this this Yahweh is just a little local has been. He's not the real God. So Daniel was calling on God to be faithful because of who he is. And you can see how God centered this prayer is right? verses seven and on. God, listen to the prayers of your servant, and to His pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make Your face to shine upon Your sanctuary. This tells us something about how what should draw us in prayer as the, as first putting God in the first place of, of our lives and our priorities, you know, kids. If you talked this way about the way, you know, Daniel talked about God, if you talked about yourself this way, your parents would say, stop, you're being self-centered. There's something wrong with that. But it's not wrong. In fact, it's right with God. It, it, to ignore him would be missing the point. Kind of like if you invited, you, know, you were invited to a birthday party and then everyone ignored the birthday boy or girl, and just went off and played games and, and didn't pay attention to them. For that day, they're supposed to be special and celebrated. Well, God, all the time, is the one who is to be celebrated as the most important, the Redeemer. And so when we pray, we, we, we can talk about the intimacy and, and the closeness that we have and, and the wonderful fact that God knows every hair of our head. That's a, that's a beautiful part of Scripture and doesn't fight against God's glory. But often what we see is people kind of just take out some some of these kind of wonderful sentimental parts today and, and God becomes my buddy. He's He's my sounding board. You know, he's, he kind of gives me a little inspiration or path and my guide. It's not what Daniel says here. It's he's your the great glory that draws you to himself. I love the beauty of this world. It reminds me of God as the Creator, and one of the things I love is to hike in the winter and see frozen waterfalls, just the crisp majesty that glistens beauty and and when you see something like that it grabs your attention it takes your breath away right you you can't help but look at it and, and that is somewhat of what we're aiming for in our attitude when it comes to prayer God is the one who created these things, but he's also created us for a personal relationship with someone who is holy and majestic. And so you think about that. When you pray, reflect on God's covenant and who he is. Come to him as the one who is the most important. And when you do that, that will drive you to the second thing is to repent of your sin. Daniel here, this is a prayer of confession. Look at all the ways that he describes sin. We won't even list all of them because there's a lot, but... In verse 5, not only have we sinned, but we've, we've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've turned from your commandments. Verse 6, we've not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 7, we've committed treachery because of that. In verse 8, we're ashamed. In verse 9, we've, we've rebelled. These are all, this is all covenant language drawn from books like Deuteronomy. Um, Kings, where it says, King says the reason Israel was exiled explicitly is because they did not listen to the prophets, right? Um, chronicles and then Jeremiah. Daniel's serious here about the sin of God's people. He chronicles it. He calls it out. And what you see here, I find this very interesting, is that for Daniel's prayer, it's a we, not a them. It's really easy to confess other people's sins. And in fact, Daniel in the book up to this point has not been recorded as done, having done anything wrong. And in fact, there's, there's some people who are um, literary people, especially critical scholars, they don't like Daniel. They say, you know, Daniel is too much of a cardboard cutout. He just always does what's right. He's two-dimensional. There's no internal struggle, no angst. He's just faithful. He's boring. He's dull. He's vanilla, right? Well, well you, you, of course, you see Daniel, he's courageous. He boldly delivers Visions and advises kings, he stands before the lions. Um, but you see here Daniel recognizing he's part of the exiled community. It's, it's not just those people that got me kicked over here. I am part of the group of sinners. I am a person who's need, in need of God's grace. It's worth pointing out here that Israel is in a, in a specific point in God's history and, and so today, when we pray and we ask for confession, we can't always draw a straight line from disobedience to consequence, right? You can't say, I am sick, you know, because I didn't pay my taxes. Now, you probably have a guilty conscience because you didn't pay your taxes, right? Um, but you, you, you can't be quick to do that. It's not the same. And yet Daniel lays out a roadmap for confessing sin as one who was described as morally upright and blameless in chapter 1, one who dedicated his, his life and his body to God and, and said, I will not be defiled by this Babylonian food. And yet he says, before a holy and merciful God, I realize that I too fall short of his glory and I need his mercy. I need to confess. And so he places himself in the middle of God's camp with all the rest of the people. And similarly for us, we, we have experienced the new life in Jesus and yet we still sin, the side of heaven. And of all people, we know the cost of God's grace, what it costs for us to be forgiven. And so we can't take sin lightly with the cost of it being the death of our Lord. And that means the upside down way of thinking that the more you recognize God's grace, the more you see the sin in your life, the more you repent and make that a practice, even as you are growing in your sanctification and holiness. That's, That's how it works as the Christian life. And so just think about this. Compassion must be part of our prayers, even in the Advent season. Think about how, how do confession and, and the hope of Advent go together. And Advent's the celebration of Jesus' first coming and the yearning for his, his second coming. We often like to think about the, the light that comes into the world that John talks about, the increasing light at Advent, God breaking into history. Well, if that's the case, and Advent is a time to, to recognize that Christ has come, it's We can also recognize well, he's come to reconcile us and save us from our sins. And if it stands to reason that you celebrate the light and as the light increases in your life, you're going to see in greater definition your sins. Just like when you turn on or up the light in a room, you see the cobwebs, you you see the dirt. And if you're aware of your sins more and not less, then isn't Advent a time to celebrate God's grace by, by even owning them? Now it's not a time to parade your sins, but but neither hide them. We don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to deny them or repress them. But we can repent and confess and say, "Yes, I am a sinner." This is why Jesus came. He didn't just come for you know someone out there. He came for me, and I can rejoice in that. I was at training for five week five weeks five days up in Brooklyn. So glad I live in South Jersey. Spent hour and a half sometimes going 20 miles, um, you know. God loves the cities. Uh, but I, I, I did, I was in a hotel off post, and my roommate, who's my chaplain candidate, he's about to become a chaplain, I was talking with my, you know, his first name is Sean, and I said, you know, Sean, I was, I was telling him about a specific area of pride in my life. I said, you know, this is, I'm proud in this area, and these are the fallouts, and I, I don't want to be this way. It's, it's a bentness, I recognize that. It's, it's me not conforming to God's image. It's me falling short of his glory. And I, I don't wake up every morning and say I want to be proud. But yet I see it crawling up and yeah, God's working in my life. But it's, it's who I am. And this is why Jesus has to come. And so this Advent, you know, bring your sins before the Lord. And there is a place to tell other brothers and sisters, this is, this is where I need grace. Maybe, maybe I need you to forgive me. Maybe I need you to pray for me. We, as people, need to be a confessing people. Right? That's, that's why we have our, our prayer of confession every week. When we come before and we practice bringing our sins before a holy God who gives us great forgiveness. Now, this should not lead to depression or despair done right, it leads to hope. And today we would say that if you, if you talk about your, well, sin is not a vocabulary that we use. You know, that's, that's going to deplete your self-esteem. And, and what you should do is, you know, you, these, these, are, these are imperfections that you need to outgrow. And that's, but there's no real moral part attached to them. But if we do this right, this actually leads to, I love how one commentator put it, sanity. His chapter for this, prayer was sanity. And he said, what was insanity? Do you remember? It was, it was Nebuchadnezzar standing on top of his city and saying, look at this greatness I had made for my own glory and putting himself in the center of the world. That's, and it drove him mad, quite literally, the consequences. What is sanity? <coughs> saying, look at God's world, what he's created for his glory. And if I'm honest... There's times that I want to live like it's my world, but he's given me grace. That is sanity that brings freedom and power and forgiveness to have real change. So what does this look like? Well, this kind of confession will lead to humility in the ways that we treat others, whether they be other Christians of other types or unbelievers. Uh, You do notice in this prayer that Daniel doesn't confess the sins of the unbelieving pagans around him. That, that's a given. He knows that. But he's, he's not focusing on them, using that to pump himself up. He, he's talking about the sins of Israel. And we as a church need to be honest that yeah, we, we are imperfect. Now, there's a lot of people that want to give the church a lot of unfair, bad press. And I think there's a time to push back against that. But can we be honest, too, and say there are times that the church, we try to Photoshop our image. And it's not because we're looking for the glory of God. It's because we would like to put off a certain image. We got it all together. And, and maybe not as, a, as a, a conscious thing. But you see that in the churches. And you see that in churches that, that sweep under the rug. Very serious issues of, of sexual or power abuse. Sometimes we like to have a sanitized history of our past. You know, it's okay to say, you know, let's be honest. Sometimes in the past century, we we haven't always had the the most clear or faithful teaching about what sexuality is. We've repressed it. And that's part of why the sexual revolution happened. Not all of it, but there's part of it. We can say that. We can say, let's be honest. When when there was the the conservative and, and liberal controversy in the early 1900s, some of the faithful churches got away from physical care because we were afraid that would be interpreted as a social gospel, and we haven't always done that. As we can talk about those things, and we can repent as sinners who have received grace. I will also say this applies to politics. <laughs> we, have, we have an election season ramping up, and if it's possible, we might even be more divided than four years ago as a country. Uh, ab- abortion is quickly becoming what slavery was in the 19th century, both the, the arguments and the rhetoric that's going back. It's fascinating to see the parallels. Um, there's a lot of other just ideological differences, and it is okay to have strong opinions and, and hold them and argue them and debate them. But what it's not okay is to look at the failings of the people who are different than you and say, God, I thank you that you have not made me like those sinners over there. We need to have humility and remember if the country was really like we wanted it exactly, it would still be imperfect, it would still be sinners. And you can vehemently disagree with a person and yet not let yourself be blinded for your own need that I am I need a saviour too. And I can I can still talk about that person in a way that's respectful. Well, confession moves us away from the moral self-righteousness, which, by the way, is becoming rampant among unbelievers, right? We take a position and then we, 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 we argue for it. And it celebrates the light of righteousness, God, coming today. That is sanity. And then as you receive that forgiveness, then you can claim the promises. Daniel here says, God, I know that you are great in mercy and glory. Be who you are forgive us, deliver us like you said you would. And what Daniel does is he takes the words of his Bible, the scriptures that he has of of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Kings and Chronicles and Jeremiah, all these prophets, and he turns them into prayers. God, act on behalf of your people. Do what you have promised. You, You can do that as you read your scriptures in the morning. I'm I'm reading through the book of Acts and just the explosion of the church and the word growing and multiplying. And I pray that, Lord, would would we have that joy today? Would would you would you bring that here? You know, God's promises are bigger than we think, even when we call them to what we see. They're bigger. You know, last week we were talking about the the explanation of these visions, because Daniel's asking God, when's the 70 years going to come? And God says, well, they are coming. It happens in the exile." But what you don't realize is that there's going to be a 70 years. And at the end of that is going to come my personal deliverance for your ultimate exile. Right? God's promises are so rich and overflowing that when we ask him, we don't even know the extent of what he's going to fulfill them to. But we can have that promise. Right? If, and if that's the way that God answers his promises and keeps his covenant, why, why would you do anything else? So think about praying. Remember God's name. Remember, ask for forgiveness, and then we can claim His promises. Let us pray. Father, we want our prayer lives to be all about You. We know how easy it is to to step in and want to claim Your glory or co-opt Your power. Father, when we simply stand as sinners before you who have been incredibly and overwhelmingly loved, how you have flooded us with your mercy. It's when we experience our joy and our peace and the life as you've meant us to be. Lord, would you help us as Christians to be able to live and serve humbly in this world without self-righteousness, without fear, like Daniel boldly, Um, pleasantly, with perseverance, clinging to the covenant mercies of His great God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.